Hello, and welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and I do hope you're enjoying the interviews I've been sharing. The focus of this podcast is on the interesting and creative people of Austin, Texas. As always, my intention is to have meaningful and in-depth conversations that I hope will be of value to you, the listener. They certainly are to me. I really love doing these interviews, and hopefully we can all figure out together how to better connect and support our local art communities and create opportunities and success for ourselves through conversations like these. You might have noticed, unlike many other podcasts, this one has no sponsors. For me, it's a passion project that I create and produce 100% on my own every week. Please consider helping to support me and my continued efforts by becoming a patron of mine. Go to austinarttalk.com and click on the support tab to learn more. And if you really love an episode and have a feeling it might benefit someone else, please share it with them. It might be exactly what they need to hear. Thanks to those who follow and interact with me on Instagram, at Austin Art Talk. That is by far my favorite social media platform. I post daily about local art events and try to support and share the work of previous podcast guests, along with other interesting people, art, and podcasts that I find which you might enjoy. On to the rest of the show. Rohitash Rao makes cool stuff, funny stuff, and a lot of it. Lucky for us, he recently moved to Austin to take a teaching job as an assistant professor at the Stan Richards School of Advertising. Since childhood, Roe has been a prolific creator, drawing and painting on anything he can get his hands on. Studying at Art Center in L.A. gave him a chance to try all different types of art creation and also learn how to pitch ideas and tell stories. Over the years, he has worked as an award-winning art director, illustrator, animator, has made a documentary, short films, music videos, stop motion, has co-written seven children's books, has exhibited his art numerous times, and is about to release an album of songs that he will be performing live with his band. Through his art creation, he explores his personal experiences and also shares his often humorous commentary on the state of the world, with a belief that comedy and art are therapeutic and can lessen the weight of life. Keep smiling and make your shit. Here is Ro. Well, thanks, Ro, for being on my podcast. Yeah, thanks for talking to me. I don't even know where to start with you because I feel like the more we talk, the more I dig into who you are online and everything that you have on there, all your different works and jobs that you've had. It's like, and all the things you've just told me since I've been here, it's like, you are so diverse. Every Your talents are diverse. You're prolific. You're, I don't know. I just think you're so incredibly creative. You're so funny. I know I'm like gushing on you here but uh, i'm just like so impressed like do you feel confident in the way that i'm saying all these things like that you're good at them you know what i mean well i thank you for all that uh the confidence part i think i it's just putting in the time and i think every new piece you 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 up your confidence like kind of level by like a little notch so it's only because of time that i'm I feel more confident now than ever, but a big part, and this is something, you know, this is obvious, the whole 10,000 hours thing, especially like the, when I first started specifically drawing, painting, I kept thinking, what's my hundredth painting going to look like? Hmm. Because I know whatever you got to start, but I kept thinking what's, I can't wait to get to a hundred. And in my head, that was my goal. Because once I get to a hundred, then I'm going to have more than anything, I just want to control between my brain and my hand. I wanted my hand to actually execute what was in my head. And I felt like, you know, just putting in the time, you're 
those channels between your brain and your hand are going to just like develop and you're going to be have comp- you know more control over your fingers are going to be able to hold that brush or pencil better than yeah. you know on 100 than you were at 1 so i kept thinking about that and so that the control part i think is where the confidence comes from because if you can like see something in your head and then you can actually execute it it's like a superpower like you're like holy shit i can actually you know make this image that's yeah. in there. But then I think something else magically happens, which is you allow, and because you're ideally so in control, you allow yourself to let it now flow to wherever it needs to go. So putting like, like I, I used to get so concerned because I'm, I'm a Virgo and I was very like, you know, just OCD as a kid and all that. I would like, you know, like, like line up all the, dishes and the silverware in my, you know, cup all perfectly, you know, you know, yeah. that stuff. Um, my room was like spotless. All the books were perfectly in the same, you know, kind of the same line. All my albums were at one point were in, in order by, yeah. uh, not by name, but by genre. Um, <laughs> so very organized, my point. And, it, yeah. and then a certain, and so I used, to, I used to draw the way. I was very specific in how I drew and how I painted. And then I remember like, uh, you know, there was a, a, a moment where like I bumped something and my brush went off in a direction I didn't plan. And I'm like, oh God, I ruined this painting. And I, it would just piss me off that I like ruined the work. And I'm like to myself, like it just... You got to get more control, you know, man, what are you doing? And then at a certain point, I'm like, wait a minute. What if I ran with that line? What if I didn't get upset by it? What if Mm. I allowed that to open another door to this painting? Yeah. And I used that line. And then I started to embrace the mistakes and run with it. Just turn the painting this way and use that line to begin something new. And it would go off in this other journey. And then you're like, oh, okay, that I didn't even think about that. That wasn't in my head. That was yeah. something that was organically created as I was painting. So then suddenly you have these two things. You have like this controlled version and then you have this uncontrolled version and you embrace both for different reasons. And the minute you start that, you allow that to happen, I started to I started to feel I was reinforced by everything I was seeing. Like I, I read how um, when David Lynch would shoot um, and he like, you know, there was many, many a time he said he was on set he was trying to shoot a certain scene and the there was the wrong lens on the camera the actor didn't get their line right there was a, the sun wasn't you know the sky wasn't the way it was supposed to be when he you know had yeah. that scene written and instead of being upset and trying to recreate whatever he was trying to do he let the that moment create something new so after all this i i, I a friend of mine had this great saying it was calculated spontaneity Hmm. And that is now how I approach everything. Oh, I, wow. I plan it out. I have an idea, the concept of an image, but then I allow the spontaneous act to happen while I create it. So, I mean, a lot of this work in here, I may not have exactly went, it didn't end up exactly how it was in my head. It started out with a very specific image, but then something weirdly magical happened that I, I think I allowed to go you were being you're open to it. i was i was allowing the magic i guess to happen mm. and then something happens and then what's great about that is that then there's a really 
there's an act of, of creating. It's not just trying to execute this image in your head, like precisely. It's not like, it's not yeah. mathematical, you know? And it was for a long time for me, it was mathematical. It was just like, here's the image, here's the sketch, just recreate that on a canvas or on whatever and make that. And that's A to B. And that was it. And that was how I created. And that, did then, that feel fulfilling at all? It did because it was like, uh, part of it was because I just wanted to know that I could the technical. Yeah, I wanted rendering. to. I wanted to know I could control a brush, mm-hmm. control um, a pencil. You know, use whatever tool to make whatever I wanted. So it was necessary. That was a yeah. It was a necessary. It's a it's a craft, and that's that's the difference between craft and I think an art. So for me, like I would draw something, I would create a stencil out of that drawing, and spray paint it on onto a canvas or a piece of wood, and that would be the art. But the art really was in the drawing. It wasn't in the execution. The execution was craft because I just executed precisely mm. with, the, with, with an exacto knife and a piece of paper. I made a stencil and I, I literally just took that drawing and blew it up as opposed to like getting a, a canvas and getting a brush and creating something directly on that canvas. It may have been something in your head, but it also may have been something that just kind of came out of the, out of the act of creating. So that is, to me, that's art as opposed to craft. Yeah. I also think, you know, when I'm thinking back to when you were saying, you know, like, what is my, I'm starting with painting one, what is my hundredth painting going to look like? It, 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 I started thinking about that. It makes you feel very, it's kind of like this curious excitement, but I was thinking more about like, what concept am I going to get to by hundred, you know, number 100, because it's like, you can't even know like where you're, those first hundred paintings are going to take your brain and your research and your life circumstances and everything. You know, that's what I would think about. Like, what would that hundredth one look like? It's almost like looking into the future of your life and saying like, Oh wow, I never would have thought of something like that before. You know, I don't know. That's where my mind went. Well, the other thing is that the minute you think of it like that, uh, it takes the pressure off this one. Like you're not worried about number 19, you know, because you're like, Oh, 19 is just a stepping stone. So yeah. this doesn't have to be great. I just have to get number 19 out. So yeah. it, it there's no weight on painting 19. Because you're like, when I get to 100, then I'm going to be like a whole different person. So I can't wait to get there. So all, all you're thinking about is that. So it, it, it makes it kind of fun and free to do whatever you want here because this doesn't count. You mm-hmm. know, this is just play. Hundred Number 100 is one that counts. So just it becomes easy. The other thing is I purposely try to try uh, – for a long time, and I, I and I still do to to a big degree, is I paint on found objects, and the reason why that also a it's free, and b it's because there's no pressure on that painting because you found like a fast food cup or whatever or a piece of wood in the street. Yeah, how bad can you ruin it? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> it, it was in the it was in the street. It was in the trash already. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you if your painting sucks. <laughs> throw it away like it's not a big deal you didn't like spend a lot of money on on canvases and it's art not very supply. precious it's not precious yeah and it became again a, a mm. kind of a kind of a it kind of hit two things it was it was it was a very cheap way to kind of get art materials but also it was it took that yeah the the, the preciousness off of it you didn't have to make it great to make it worthy of you know that canvas so uh, it made it easy to just create a lot yeah, it seems like you're trying to come up with ways to overcome 
resistance or fear or whatever might get in your way of actually making work. You know, it's like, let's figure out little tricks of your mind or something. Yeah. Right? Um, I mean, is that- yeah. And, and uh, the other thing is I, it's funny if you walk around with a camera, like an actual, I mean, doesn't your phone or an actual camera, if you walk around with the intention of, of, if you have a camera in your hand, you have an intention of photographing something, right? You just do. So it's a weird and obvious that you walk around with a camera, you're going to find something to photograph. You're just going to amazing things just suddenly appear. Yeah. It's not because they weren't there before. It's just that because you're making yourself aware of things because you're holding a camera in your hand. Same thing with a with a pencil or a brush or anything else. The minute you or you're you're, you're writing, you sit in front of a, a a desk with a with with your laptop or whatever, you're going to write something. You're going to draw something. It's that intention. You're making your body brain go we're going to create right now and that's what we're going to do it may it may be like a long time before you actually start creating but you're you're starting the intention of creating and the more that happens you're i think you just get into the habit of like oh holding this thing in my hand it, it it's, it's a symbol that we're gonna today yeah by the time i walk out of this room something will be on this piece of paper that i didn't plan on or i didn't i didn't i didn't i i you know obviously before now there was nothing here and now when i walk out of here there'll be something here and it becomes this kind of fun journey that just by making yourself sit there or walking out with a camera in your hand you are going to create you're going to some art is going to come out of this experience and i think more importantly it becomes a combination of just pure fun because you get to see where you're going to go and uh, on this great adventure and then b it becomes um you realize that uh you can't wait for inspiration right you have to go get it yeah so that's the other part it's like you're not waiting for some muse or something to happen to trigger like oh look there's a beautiful bird i should i should paint now it's not i'm not waiting for that bird to show up i'm going looking for that bird and that's it like you're making yourself like uh, this is a kind of you know it's a job you yeah. have to just this is who you are this is what you do so create and the again the more you do this the more it's like i'm not worried about this painting or that painting or that painting or this specific idea i'm gonna make 500 things and i hopefully 10 percent will be good but it's I have no control over what's going to be good. I'm just going to make 500 things and that's it. And then you'll, you know, we'll all decide, I guess, as a collective. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll put it online see, and see yeah. how many likes it gets. But that's, that's it. Like you, that's not the part I worry about. I obviously, I just worry. I just want to make, I'll get my camera and I'll go for a walk. And that's all I, I really try to think about. It sounds like you're talking about what some of my other guests have talked about is having like a, and maybe it's not daily, but you know, it's kind of like a daily creative practice. Like you just, no matter what, every day you sit down and you just make something. It yeah. doesn't matter what it looks like. It's just, you're making something. Yeah. Um, and it's, this is really weird because I, I walked out of class yesterday. Um, I'm talking about this very thing and I'm walking down the street and I find the most perfect crushed Marlboro cigarette box. Yeah, I've seen you paint like, on those. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was so beautiful. And, um, and then I'm walking to class and a couple of students were talking to me and all I want to do is go, I see the box in the gutter and I'm like, I want to get the box, but it's weird that I'm having a discussion about like something more important about their project and whatever. But all I want to do is grab that box and go paint on it. Yeah. <laughs> but I got to like, kind of just, 
you know. And then I'm thinking about it. I hope no one steals that box. I hope nobody comes by and sees what I see and yeah, gets a cigarette box not. because it's the perfect <laughs> canvas. It's like it's so perfectly crushed. Oh, um, wow. And so the students leave and they're walking in the direction of where the cigarette box is. And I'm like, no, they're going to go get it. Don't. So I wait till they're like now a good half a block away and I run and I grab it and I like that run hilarious. back to class uh, to my office at school and I wrap it up in a like nice piece of paper so I can like keep it preserved. Um, wow. And now I can't I wait to that. paint on it. Uh, but like that's, yeah, so that's, yeah, I'm constantly now thinking, so that because of that cigarette box on the ground, I can't wait to paint on it. Yeah. And that's, I think, how a lot of this happens is like, you know, I'll find that I'll find a piece of wood. I'll find a bottle, and I, I then I'm like, I this is my new thing. This is my new thing. I'm going to make something on. Usually they come in here. They're stacked up, um, and then I just like wait for now um, something that I think you know triggers that specific um, of object to be painted on, and then I just go again. If it sucks, I throw it. I throw it away. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I really love this because. This I can relate to it very deeply. I mean, I think for most of my life, my and in different series of photography that I've done, one of my big focuses has always been on seeing beauty or something interesting in things that people like ninety nine point nine percent of people would never even notice. And I just love that you would get so excited about a piece of trash and be work out this elaborate thing to try to get it uh, without anybody seeing you. And I just love that. I just love. Uh, knowing that there are people out there that are appreciating these little details in the world that most people would just disregard. I just, uh, there's something I really enjoy and it's comforting for me about that. Well, I, 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 so I was saying before about, I, for me, the biggest part of this whole thing is, is learning to be confident. I had, I had no confidence at all for a very long time about my work. And um, so when I first started to show my work, I felt so, weird about trying to get all of my specifically like my advertising world friends to buy my work i felt like who the hell am i to sell my art to you know especially my my this world of advertising because we're all like professional you know people who you know ideally you know get paid to make giant branded you know ads so right. i'm gonna sell a painting to these people like who, who's gonna buy my painting so i the way I began my journey was I'm going to do a thing called um, called art for beer, and I'm going to bring my I paint on a piece of trash like a fast food cup, a cigarette box. I bring it to a bar, and I'm like, you can have any of these, just buy me a beer. And oh wow, people would like, all right, that's cool because it wasn't selling my art. Yeah, I was just they were just buying me a beer, and I would give them art. That was my my kind of my beginning of me being able to feel comfortable selling my art and it was a little bit of a like a market survey to see if anyone was interested at all yeah it was kind of a test and i i had a tumbler called art for beer and you know so the what changed was i went out one night to a bar with some friends and i had like i just had like like you know a box a cigar box full of like trash paintings whatever and i brought it to the bar and opened it up and had like you know you know about half a dozen people were there i think and they were like oh yeah i'll take this i'll take this like this and after like my fifth You're, beer, like, <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, we can't buy you any more beer, dude. Like you've had five beers, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but we still want the art. And I go, oh, um, well, I guess you could just give me money if 
if yeah. that's the case then because you, you're right you can't get me any more beer and they're like alright we'll give you like you want 20 bucks for this painting I'm like yeah that's like two beers that's fantastic so then I think I walked out of there like drunk uh, um, and then a handful of cash yeah. you know and I'm like oh okay this is ah. this is this is good this is like now that like the like the change like where I can actually like just feel comfortable just selling the art now and not you know having you come to a bar and meet me just to get the art um and then people were like you know i'll give you 50 bucks for that actually or maybe 100 so it just began like Hmm. i i I felt like it was and i don't it was on me i don't know if i just started to sell it i i i think people would have bought it but i didn't feel comfortable selling it to my friends so i think it was my own confidence that i had an issue with i don't no one no one said we're not going to buy your art we'll only buy you a beer that was Again, that was just me. Yeah, they were just going along. Um, But that was my journey all along. I just felt like I hid the art for a very, very long time Mm. because I didn't, A, think I was good. B, I didn't, I just didn't, I didn't really have um, a a, a lot of a a world around me that like painting or this was even a thing. Like I I just didn't have an environment where I saw it as something that you could actually, A, spend time actually getting better and better at and people actually spent um or or gave it a shot as a possible way to make a living i just i didn't know anybody like that well you know i want to we've been talking for a few minutes here and i think that we need to maybe try to get people oriented with who you are more generally and where we are right now i mean i've i loved everything you've said absolutely i'm really enjoying this but i'll just mention that we're obviously in Austin, Texas, but we're at the Canopy Complex, and right before East last year, the management company added like seven or eight studio retail space trailers in this space in the back of the complex, and um, that's where we are. We're in one that you have are renting as your studio, and it's full of your work, and you're here in Austin because you got a job at the University of Texas, um, and you just moved here in August, right? Yeah. Well, let's before we get into what your teaching job is about, and I really want to hear all about that because I'm sure that there's a lot of things that you share with your students that would be interesting to hear um, from all your decades of experience. Like you had mentioned when you were a kid that you were drawing all the time and that back then you were kind of dealing with this super controlling kind of style that you had that you were eventually kind of broke out of like did you always want to be an artist did you were you always just so incredibly create creative your whole life i mean is that kind of how it started Uh, in california rancho cucamonga rancho cucamonga which is a funny name yeah um (laughs) which is which has become a huge part of my my identity in every way in fact i did so i did a pilot i'll just cut to that real quick just yeah we mentioned so the pilot is called rancho cucamonga and it literally is about an indian family growing up in this town with it with a very non it was a very white neighborhood and we were the only indian people yeah and so it it was a culture on on so many levels a culture shock to my my childhood was like like i would go home and it would be like this very indian colorful household you know and and my mom's saris and everything else as far as color but also just it was spicy food and there was incense burning so it was very colorful in every way yeah yeah and then i go to my friend's houses and and this is so weird, but it was just white. I mean, they had white carpet. They had white, uh, white sofas. 
they were white. And I was like, well, this is so weird. I'm like living in these two different completely wow. opposite worlds. And we're in the same town, but I have a very, very different home life than these people. And also uh, on a cultural level, like it was a very different thing. So over time, and I guess kind of a long way to answer your question is that like I've always seen or eventually I started to see my life as this is just a comedy. And it took me years late, years later to realize that I actually have a very interesting story that I think a lot of people can relate to. And that became an animated TV idea, which we eventually made a pilot out of. So it was called Rancho Cucamonga. It was an Indian family living in Rancho Cucamonga. It's like an Indian Simpsons, I guess is a good way yeah. to put it. We eventually got it to Lauren Michaels. Lauren Michaels brought it to Fox. We made a pilot for Fox that we actually did with the, the Futurama um, TV show crew so that director oh, wow. Futurama actually directed it we actually got uh, Russell Peters who is a um, a big Indian stand-up comic he's the voice of my dad Mark Hamill from Star Wars Mark Hamill was the voice of my grandfather oh wow uh, okay. so it was a very big yeah. production and uh, we're still trying to we made the, we made a 15 minute pilot and uh, we're we're still trying to see if we can get it actually out into the world um, it's a longer story but but yeah. that's so my childhood has been obviously very much um, something I think about and, and write about still, mainly because I think it was, it, there's so much that comes out of my life that I think is, especially in the modern America, it's about America. It's about like what it, what it means to be an American, you know, and my dad, I would think is probably still one of the most uh, proud, proud Americans. I mean, he was, I was born in India. My dad, my parents were born in India. We moved here when I was about two, three. And, um, you know, immigrants, and they chose America. And it's like they have a very different, they love America. Like, or my dad, like, had this really great embrace about this place that a lot of my fellow, you know, friends and parents, they didn't have that same love or, like, just, like, you know. They probably just took it for granted. Yeah. Or... So, it's a weird thing because it's a very different way to look at what it means to be an American. Mm. And I think, and I, I would, you know, in, in the show, in the pilot, we we make this character like the most American American, even though he's Indian and he lives in this town where, you know, he's totally a fish out of water, but yeah. he, he acts more proud than anyone else does. My dad, this is kind of true, but my dad didn't know when to put out the, the flag. Like there was flag day and there was, you know, the 4th of July. But at one point as a kid, I remember like, it was like Halloween or something and he put the flag out and I'm like, no, it doesn't go out today. That's, this is Halloween. You put a pumpkin out. He goes, why wouldn't you put a flag out? And I'm like, I don't know. It's not what you do. You put <laughs> you put out a pumpkin. He goes, yeah, but it. we put flags out for other stuff. I go, I don't, Dad, I don't know why this is the rule, but it's not. You don't put a flag out. But he was like, "Just we should be happy to have a flag and yeah. we should put it out. And I'm like, okay, but that's not. So it was like this weird, he had an approach to it that was, it was genuine. It was, you know, he just felt like it was. You know, why not? And, yeah. But so that was like just like – so in the show, we have a lot of this stuff that happens where he would like have the Ameri- – cut – you know, the garden is like – the flower bed is shaped like an American flag. So he grew like red flowers oh, wow. and blue flowers. And it was just, you know – but that was – so that was kind of my childhood. So yeah, being an artist, did you think that you could be an artist? Or oh, what did yeah. you think so, you were going to do? Well, so my mom – my whole family – creates um they all they all had like a hobby so my mom has had this joke um where she goes you have a hobby and you have a jobby and they're two separate things <laughs> so you can't you go to work and you do your day job then you come home and then you can make art and then like 
that's absurd. Why would you separate the two? Why couldn't what you love to do when you get home from work be what you do at work? Like, you know, why, why yeah, is there two yeah. separate, why is there a line? And she's like, that's just how it is. And, and from their perspective, I mean, they grew up in India. They, my mom went to a school that only had like, the college only had like really two choices. You were either a medical student or you went um, to engineering and that was it. I mean, they, that was, so again, it took me a long time to realize it, but from their perspective, everything they were saying to me and my brother were like, yeah, that's, they, they're just telling us what they had. Yeah, you know, right. Those were their opportunities. So I, that's how I always saw it. I never saw art as like a possible career. It was just something you did. And partly why I started painting on wood and other stuff is because they weren't I really into buying me art supplies. Yeah. So I would just paint in whatever I can find in the garage. So I mm. found a piece of wood, found some household paint, and made something. Oh, so you've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, and it was partly because of just that was just, you know, I I had to make something that just was always in me and I, you just make with whatever you have around because yeah. you have to. So I would paint with household paint and wood and I'd make random pieces. I still have them somewhere. And then that was it. I just did it and, you know, put it in the closet, put it in, you know, whatever. But then uh, when it was time to go pick a, a, a major for college, I, I, for whatever reason, got into a chemistry program at mm. San Jose State University. So I moved to San Jose from Cucamonga and... I got into this honors chemistry class, which I don't know how I got in still. I took a test somehow and I got to this program and I sucked. Like I like the TA pulled me aside one day and he goes, You are the worst student we have ever had. Like, oh my you God. are you are not good. And I can tell you your heart isn't into it. Do you wanna be a chemist? Do you wanna go into science? Do you wanna go into medical? I'm like, none of that. And he goes, Why are you here? Like seriously get yeah. out go yeah. go do something else this is not for you and i stuck it out for a year did one year mm. and then i came screaming home to kokomonga and i'm like you have to get me out of there i can't go back i can't do this and they go what are you gonna do and i go i don't know just just can we find another school just something art related i just i um i just i i tried i tried i tried this i i'm not good i don't love it please help me and then they go all right there's a school called Art Center that we've heard about here. Let's go check it out. And we went to go check it out, and it went to the school, and it was like everything I ever dreamed about as yeah. far as like a college, you know, art college would go. And I go, I want to come here. And they go, well, you have to have a portfolio. So there's that. B, what do you want to do? I go, I don't know. What do you got? And they go, we have everything. We have fine art. We have film, photography, illustration. What do you want to do? I'm like, all of it. I want to do all of that. Okay, go and <laughs> go and advertising because you'll learn how to do everything because you'll oh, wow. get a taste okay. of everything. You'll learn, you know, basic art theory. You'll learn design. You'll learn a little photography. You'll learn a little bit of filmmaking. But more importantly, you'll learn how to th- come up with ideas. You'll learn how mm. to think, and and you will, you can you know then then it's up to you. Then you just can play with everything else and figure out how you want to you know create with whatever whatever method you want. So I said, great, and they go, but you have to, you have to have a portfolio. So what do you have? What do you have as far as art goes? And I'm like, nothing really. I mean, I have some paintings on wood and a bunch yeah. of sketches and, you know, random notebooks, but I don't have anything. And they go, well, go build a portfolio. So I went to a junior college, which was the opposite of what my parents wanted me to do, obviously. Uh, and they were very embarrassed. Um, so I went to a junior college and took every single art class I could get, like illustration, painting, whatever. And I mm. took, I think, more than I needed 
just because I needed just to build a portfolio. And yeah. I did one semester at this junior college in Cucamonga called Chafee. And then I, t- I went to Art Center at night, which is a night program to help build a portfolio as well to get into the ad program. So I was just like, I don't know, seven, eight classes, um, just wall to wall. And mm. it was heaven. It was just heaven. I just like loved everything. I, I ran to paintings, painting class, ran to illustration class, ran to photography class, ran to, then when drove to Pasadena to Art Center, did the night class, went back to Cucamonga, did my back to, you know, my wow. normal classes. Didn't sleep, but I'd never been happier. Like, I'm like, this is amazing. Mm. I didn't know you could just spend all day, every day creating because I never, I'd never done that before. And it was just, especially having coming out, coming out of a year of doing chemistry, which is sitting in a lab trying to figure out the precipitation rate of hydrochloric acid, um, you know, learning how to whatever, just that. I mean, it's a whole, like, yeah, I, I couldn't have run faster. Yeah, um, right. You know, once like the like the doors were open and I could just be free. I I realized you realize what you love when you when you're obviously just you just I was so giddy and I didn't care yeah. about sleep. I just wanted to make stuff. And then I get in I got into art center. I, I built a portfolio. I got on the program, and then it was like a whole new world. Like I'm like I've I feel like I just got my wings. Yeah, and I could fly. And were your parents happy for you? Well, so then the re- the biggest reason they wanted wanted me to go to go to art center was because art center at the time I don't know this is exactly accurate but they had like a very high employment rate for graduates it oh, was like eighty okay. yeah. percent graduates got a job to get your jobby yeah to get my jobby <laughs> so and to that um, one of my one of my professors hired me right out of school so I got a, I graduated on a Saturday and had a job on Monday oh wow so it was it was exactly that and my parents were like see this is we told you. <laughs> yeah. So, and that was it. And that was the beginning. And I was like, okay, I can, this is cool. I get to, and it was advertising and it was an art director and I didn't, I, I wasn't exactly sure if that was the career choice for me, but I, I, but again, I studied it. I had a portfolio as an art director. I built a whole book. I learned how to come up with ideas. I learned how to write campaigns. I learned how to write taglines. So that's what I did. I got out of school and I started working for an ad agency and I was doing, doing ads and it was, it was, I liked it. It was fun. And I had a lot of, you know, really, it was a really cool job and a really good, you know, kind of crew of people and creatives and everything. And the best part is you, like, like Art Center said, you get to do everything. Suddenly you're, you're writing an ad that you have to go on a photo shoot to execute the ad. So you're now you're working with photographers. Then you write an ad and you get to go do the commercial. You get to go on set and work with directors. And so I got it and work with illustrators and, you know, work with designers and everything. And you're like, Oh wow, this is awesome. Cause I get to work with all these different people and get to learn how to do all these different things. And so really it was about three years of that that made me go, I want to do all of this. Like I was saying from day one, when I got to art center. So I want to go be an illustrator. I want to go be a filmmaker. I want to go be a photographer. I just want to do all of this. Cause they just, just, I love, just making and i just want to not i want to i want to have more tools in my tool belt i just don't want to be one thing if i can come up with ideas great i don't want to rely on this person to execute my yeah i want to i want to be able to have the freedom to make whatever i want whenever i want so i three years into the job into advertising i'm like i'm out (laughs) and then i moved to new york went to nyu for a summer took a film program and started to learn how to direct and learn but specifically learn how to make a film myself, like use my own camera, load my own film. Um, ideally, you know, 
even though I didn't do all that, I just, I learned how to, and I learned how to cut my own film and, and, you know, kind of light my own, you know, stuff. So I, I could be a one person filmmaker if I needed to. Yeah. And then I got some friends together and we spent about two years. I had this idea for a documentary, we spent two years making a documentary, hmm. uh, $40,000 <laughs> um, and all shot on 16 millimeter. Cause that was what was around then. To me, that was film school. That was like that was my film program. Was actually going out and making a film. Um, I had I had like a six week workshop at NYU to learn basics. Yeah, but it was just like an overall like here's how it works and here's some film history and here's some you know here's you know samples of really good filmmaking or whatever. And but the rest was just physically just going out and doing it. And mm-hmm. that's that really was like how I learned how to I think just be a filmmaker why did you zero in on filmmaking out of all the other things that you could have done uh i i wanted to tell stories and uh, you know and again having written ads and being on set with directors i just i mean i've always been a film lover but i uh, once i started to be on sets um you know when, it, when we're, we're making you know the ads that i had written um, with 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 uh, uh, with directors, I was like, wow, I really love this environment. I like I like the whole process. I like how a director could take a script, and then in the, the majority of my stuff was I was comedy commercial. So it was uh, the the directors were obviously trying to like you know do a comedy, and they would say stuff like, you know, it's like a it's like a good comic. You'd have you can't get that punchline unless you have the setup right. Yeah. So your ad, your joke, your thirty second spot of a piece of you know kind of comedy commercial only works. That five-second button of a joke is only going to work if the first 20 seconds or whatever is set up right. So we're going to set it up perfectly, visually, and whatever to get that punchline. And I'm like, right, that's, that's, that's storytelling basically in a nutshell. I can do that. Yeah. I, w- I want to do that. So I started to think about myself as a director. Like how would I, even though I was you know, the art director or, or writer on this thing, how would I direct it? And so I would even, you know, in my, I would storyboard it even when we pitched it to a director, the director was like, well, you already shot it. Like I, you want me, yeah. <laughs> you want me to shoot it like this. And I'm like, well, I mean, this is just how I saw it. Yeah. And sometimes the director would be like, okay, but I'm going to direct it. And I'm like, I know I'm just giving you like kind of a guide of how I think it, it would work. Cause, and I would do what I had been told before, but other directors by like, see, I didn't give away the, the joke here until this shot. Like everything is set up, set up, set up. The monkey comes in at the end. You don't see in the beginning or whatever. So yeah. you don't get that. It's, you don't get the joke until the very end. So I would actually be on set with directors and I would have these long talks with the director about why are they ch- choosing this you know, this way or that way, especially after coming out of my little program at NYU, I'm like, why are you shooting on a, on a, on a 70? You know what? They're like, who the hell are you? You're little, like, you're the art director. Go sit in video village and let us shoot. And yeah. I would <laughs> piss off a lot of directors because I would sit right behind them. And I'm like, yeah, I don't like that guy in frame. Can you move him? They're like, seriously, like, dude, like, wow, you're not the like, director. You need to just do this. Yeah. So I was very, people very, I, I was seeing myself as a director yeah, for a long time. Like, and then yeah, finally yeah. I was able to, then it's, it's like anything else. The minute you do it, you realize, oh, wow, this is yeah. not easy. And it, and especially by making this documentary, which was, uh, I was, it was self-funded. I had a really good friend of mine who, who ended up helping me make it. He was a great DP in every way and every just like he's like the perfect like just like I he can do anything with a camera and so it was great I could just basically kind of be a, a director in a lot of ways and a creator and a writer and he could just kind of be everything else and the two of us just went out and like 
you know, basically made this documentary together. After that, I spent another, like, I don't know, $20,000 making a spec reel as a director to get mm. work as a commercial director. And then the beauty of that is all those failed commercials that I never got sold, I would just shoot myself. So real projects that I would do, like, you know, like I worked on Energizer, I worked on like, you know, um, a couple of shoot brands. And so all the commercials that never worked, I just now shot myself um, and got like, you know, 35 millimeter and I got really good cameras and got really good DPs and, you know, really good, crew, crew. again, cost money. But I had a, now I had a reel and then I could go and, and get work as a commercial director because now I had like, like a portfolio. Yeah. That was great. And I was, it was really good transition between advertising as an art director to now advertising as a director. But then the other part of me, which was like, but you're not telling stories. You're, you know, you're making ads, yeah. which is fine, but you're not like to me, like the whole point was to it's tell your own stories. Yeah. Like you made a documentary because you want to tell your own story. Why aren't you making your own story? So I started to shoot short films, but short films are expensive on film. So I, I could only do like one or two. And I, then I just, I had no money. I would freelance in advertising and I make all this money and I'd spend it all making shorts. And at a certain point, like you, I, you can't keep funding your own films because it's just, I mean, I couldn't. I didn't have the yeah, the, yeah. the the resources. That's why I went to animation because ah. I'm like, if I can build my own sets and shoot my own like miniatures, I can just do it in a room. A, you don't need sound. I don't do rent sound equipment. Um, I can animate it. I can do it all myself. I can do it all you know on uh, without having to pay for a location. I don't need actors. So animation, and I've always been drawing. I don't know why it took me so long to realize I can just yeah. do my own stories whenever I want, however I want, if I just make them myself. So that, that was where the battle of the albums came in. Or that, that came a, a while later oh, okay, because okay. only because I was doing old school stop motion where I would literally go to Toys R Us. I'd buy like dolls, like Barbies and Ken dolls and GI Joes or whatever. And I'd go home and I kind of like disassemble them and kind of make them into like, basically like stop motion dolls. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would physically, you know, buy little like Barbie sets, repaint them to make them look like, you know, like I made it <laughs> and then <laughs> build, you know, sets and build, um, build little stories. And I'd make stop motion films. Yeah. And then from that, um, eventually like anything else, you go digital and then eventually right. it led to After Effects and doing it, you know, in a computer, a lot of it as opposed to, um, in, you know, on set. Then eventually, this company called Curious Pictures, they were, they were an animation studio, but very stop motion heavy. And I fell in love with them. And I think, you know, they were like, you should come join us. So that friend of mine, Abe, mm. who I did the documentary with, he and I became a directing team called Ugly Pictures. And we both joined Curious Pictures as, as, as a, a directing duo. Through that, we got um, a lot of work. And then the album covers, the album covers film was like an idea I had since I was 16 because hmm. all those album covers are my album covers uh, or my albums, basically. So they were always in my room as a kid, just lying on the on the carpet while I was you know playing the records. And I just remember thinking, oh, that album cover will be funny if they fought that album cover because they were just lying on the floor a lot. And it just it hit me as a kid that that would be a really funny thing to see. Years later, I'm at Curious Pictures, and me and me and Abe used to get these jobs where we would open up this concert in New York called Battle uh, Battle of the Ad Bands, which was a charity event every year where ad- advertising agency bands would compete 
on a stage for you know best band and all the money all the you know all the people who came in to see the show all the money went to a charity mm-hmm. and it was a different event every, every different charity every year and um, we opened up the concerts we like do a short film to open up the concerts and that year I go I've got this crazy idea about these album covers fighting each other and they go let's do that that'll be a great way to open the concert so they paid us to make the short oh nice paid us to make the short film that was just supposed to air for the concert it wasn't supposed to leave that room because we had no rights there was no we had no legal clearance yeah. to any of that stuff right, right. obviously so yeah play you can play in a room no one's going to see it obviously don't you know it's we can just do it for us and we did it and then the company curious pictures they're one of their reps um my, and my friend he put it online he put it on youtube this is like 2007 oh wow when youtube wasn't google yet it was just youtube and uh <laughs> um and it got a lot of attention and and it just got out there and i was getting emails like random from people going hey i saw your film i really liked it and i'm like what are you talking about what film they go it's on youtube and i go what so how did it get on youtube and then they found out and then um we were getting so at one point we were on the there was a home page or a front of whatever like, yeah. there was like a the main page of youtube and we're on the main page of youtube so that was like a big deal and we got um, mentioned in Rolling Stone. We got mentioned in Entertainment Weekly, and then um, we got started getting phone calls from from record labels. And Curious was like, "Oh shit, we're gonna get sued! Like this is it! Like we shouldn't have done that!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the labels were like, "No, no, we, we don't want to sue you. We we want to talk to those filmmakers. We want to hire them." And so we get meetings with these record labels going, do you want to do music videos? Because we have some bands oh, who, wow. who really like your film and they want to talk to you. And one specific, so then we got a, a, a really good friend of mine named Al Reese, who's a, who, who who was a music uh, a music video agent kind of guy. He he goes, I have a weird in with Poison, the band Poison, and Brett Michaels wants to talk to you. Oh jeez! And I go, really? Like for what? So then we got on. The, I was I don't know. I was so nervous. I got on the phone with Brett Michaels and Bobby Dahl, the bass player, who's also kind of kind of the manager of the band. The, and the two of them got on a we got on a phone call. Go, we really like your film, the album covers film. You want to do a music video for us? And I go, yeah, sure. Like, yeah, what? I don't know how this works. I was really, I was, I don't know, I was so scared to like, they were like rock stars. And, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, I'm not even a big Poison fan, to be honest. But like, I, I love the fact that like that it was somebody I grew up with and I knew yeah. and like, I, I'm like, yes, of course. Like, like, how does this work? And they go, give us, here's, here's a couple songs. Give us an idea. And I'm like, right. That's how this works. I pitch you something and you yeah. like it and we get to do it. So they were covering what I like about you. And um, I had this idea about a yearbook album opening up and like the Brady Bunch, like the boxes were singing to each other, the song, what I like about you. And it was just like this kind of high school yearbook kind of fun music video. And they're like, great, we'll fly out. I was, we were in New York. They were in LA. Well, like, well, great, we'll fly out in, in about a week and we'll shoot it or whatever. So they literally flew to New York and we filmed this video and it was like, oh shit, this is awesome! Like it was like wow. a video, like the band. We had like you know like a set. Obviously, there was a concept with the yearbook, but we had like about a hundred people kind of in the box because there was a yearbook. Yeah, people like like as if they're students in a in a high school like yearbook all singing to each other. So we had to get all these people to sing. Yeah, you know, separately, and it was like a huge production. And um, I just remember like when that was done, I'm like. Oh, this is like a dream come true because I grew up in the '80s, so I grew up on MTV, 
and all I ever did as a kid was watch MTV. Right. All I did was all I wanted to do was play music and 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 listen to music. And obviously, I love filmmaking at this point, and I wanted to make you know my own stories and films and stuff. And I'm like, right, music videos. That's a perfect thing to do because it's like a perfect everything you love in one package. It's like you know, short films in a way. They're concept pieces. They're like little pieces of art, you yeah. know, but filmmaking with music, you know, and ideally a budget. So right. it was fantastic. And then that opened up a whole new world. I could like make music videos too, as opposed to just making short films or, or, or commercials. Mm-hmm. And then that was, so that, that film specifically, that album covers film, just like that began a whole other job that I didn't even realize I wanted so badly. Yeah. Unfortunately, the only thing about music videos right now is that they... At least for me, the budgets aren't that great. So I still love to do them. I just, I got to really, you know, have to really want to do it um, for, I have to want to do that song so badly that I'll do it for whatever the money yeah, is. Because yeah. the money isn't usually that. that um, so you had your stint in New York and then eventually you lived back in California again before you came here? Yeah. So then, wow. So Curious Pictures was a huge part of then what, what happened next, partly because they started to really invest in ideas that I had uh, as a as a writer. So the Rancho Cucamonga show I was telling you about, yeah. Curious Pictures is the one who partnered with me and brought it to Lauren Michaels. They're like, we see there's something in this, let's go out together and try to pitch this. And then they did. And then I had a, I had a book idea with my, my one of my writing partners, um, Peter Nelson and I had this idea uh, about a about like a sci-fi kids um, TV show, and Curious Pictures again said, you know what, um, why don't we work on this together? And they they brought this idea to Harper Collins, and then mm. Harper Collins said, let's make a book out of this. So that book series became a three book series. So Curious was like it was opening all these doors wow. and all these ways for me. And then um, around 2011, 2012, they were going bankrupt. Oh, wow. Um, they just, just management and stuff and the world and industry and animation, just everything was just kind of coming to a head where it was just going to collapse. And um, a bunch of us were like, we should leave. We should just get out of here now before uh, the walls start crumbling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I was I was in New York and Peter, my, my writing partner, was in LA and I call him and I'm like, look, I'm going to come out to LA. Let's work on something because I don't, I don't think I'm going to have a job anymore. So I come out to LA and... This is insanely the weirdest, the weirdest story. So I literally get off the plane in LA and I check my voicemail and my book agent said, we just sold your next book. So I get off the plane, I call Peter and I'm like, did you get that same call from your agent? He goes, yeah. He goes, I'll meet you at the bar. So we go to the bar, I get off the plane, go to the bar and we sit at the bar. We're like, okay, I guess we're working on the next book now. So that was, it just, wow. like, there was no pause. And then we were like, uh, okay, let's get to work. So I just like started working with this on this next book with him. Um, and while this was going on, Harper Collins said, "Listen, we really like you guys. If you have another book idea, now would be a good time because mm. you know, we, we're already in production, uh, or we're already in the in the in the middle of making this, this this new book. Let's let's. What else do you got?" So we. Peter and I went to coffee shops for days and just like started working on like old ideas. And I go, Peter, this is ridiculous. We're like, we're we're in our forties. We're sitting at a coffee shop writing ideas. We should have a studio. We should have an office. We should like be like adults and like make this like feel like we're this is actually what we do. He goes, say he goes, tell you what, let's if we sell this book, this new book idea, we'll get a proper studio and everything. You can paint. You can like we can you can we can make books. We can write. We can animate. We'll have a proper place we can call like you know a studio and we can create whatever we want. I'm like. 
great. Like, so I felt like it was like, this is motivation. Like we need to like sell this book more now than ever because I want a studio so bad. Yeah. And I've never had a studio before really. Um, or I never really, I've never really had like a reason to have a studio like more now, more, more now than ever. So I like, uh, yes, a studio sounds like the perfect thing. So let's, let's, let's aim for that. We worked and worked and worked and just like got like this really good book pitch together, um, sent it in and they go, you know what? This is not just one book. This is four books. We're going to give, so we had already this one book uh, that we we're already making on our last, our, a third of our last book. Then we had this whole new book um, series, Soul. So, so, so we had a five book deal at this point. Hmm. And I go, I guess I'm staying in LA for the next five years. Yeah. And more importantly, we'll get a studio. So we signed a five-year lease on this space and oh, off wow. Abbot Kenny. That was like the majority of my paintings came from that because mm. I had a, I finally had a giant room that I can make whatever I wanted in, and it just was you know I nothing there was no no reason why I couldn't just make everything I've ever wanted now suddenly. So it wasn't until I got to L.A. that I finally had not only the time but the space, but also um, suddenly now. I think years of experience and, and practice, I'm like, oh, I can now really go to town. And then I really started painting big stuff. And I started getting like, you know, finding six feet pieces of wood, eight foot pieces of wood, doors. Like I just, I will like anything I can find now I'm going to paint on and I have the space to do it in. Yeah, And that's, I think, where a lot of what I do now came from. It was just that like, it was kind of like my period of like the most growth because I could I was completely free to make whatever whatever I wanted whenever I wanted, and I and I took complete advantage of that place. I mean, I was there ten hours a day, some wow. some days. Fantastic! I just I couldn't leave. I'd only leave because like my my physical body hurt, yeah, like my hand, yeah. my back, and I was just like I have to go to bed. Um, but, so, didn't this transition from Curious shutting down and you moving back to California? Didn't that kind of mark the beginning of your? I guess uh, almost kind of trying to make it on your own phase of your life before you got this job at UT. It's like you were just going to kind of be an artist and work and try to make a living without yeah. having to work for a big company or something. Yeah, I spent so much, so much of my career trying to figure out in so many ways what I wanted to do, what I could do. But I always felt like I had, I always had like one, one foot firmly planted in one of those jobs like you know whether i was yeah. a director or i was an art director this was the first time i had no feet planted i didn't i was mm. i was whatever i could a get and b you know what i could uh, I, I could sell today yeah so uh, part of my hours were working on the book or like a month would be working or uh, on this um on this book part of it will be working on the show part of it will be like you know doing um um a painting series for possibly an art show or at times it'll be all three, you know, all the time. Like it'll be like, you know, two hours here, two hours here, two hours here, two hours here, and that'll be a day. And you just have to keep it up. And, it, you know, it's like be careful what you wish for because, like, you have to then maintain it. Yeah. You tell a gallery you're going to do an art show. You know what? You better have the paintings at the end of whatever your deadline is. Yeah. You tell a publisher you, you're going to write that book. You know what? You have to write that book you have to hit that deadline yeah deadlines are good they're not gonna like you can't go to the publishing like you know what i got this art show so i can't really do the book right now you know they're like like, what are you talking about like you're on contract a um, we're paying you 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 plus this is your career this is your life you can't not 
fulfill this. Like, you know, yeah. we're not going to call you again if you don't pull this off. So you have to do it and it becomes great because that's i think you know in a, in a lot of ways that's the one really great thing about a deadline is that it makes there's no fire greater under your butt than a deadline so you just have to find a way and then through all this I kind of uh because we were doing book talks at at schools and because uh, we also had interns i always i kind of had a bit of what i now realize I was kind of teaching. I was kind yeah. of already in this mindset of teaching. You know, you have, especially if you have interns, you're kind of like, you know, a guide, a mentorish yeah. person, yeah. and you're kind of guiding them through whatever you're working on. And they're, you know, they're there because they want to be. Um, these weren't paid internships. So um, they were just people who wanted to like learn about whatever, uh, drawing, painting, you know, whatever craft that they, they were into. And you were just kind of, like, I was kind of like, you know, kind of a guide to, get them to wherever they were. Really, I was just trying to get them to realize who they want to be, not, you know, don't do this because right. of me. Do it your way, but I'll just show you some tricks that I've learned about how to maybe do it. And we do a lot of talks at schools for like fourth, fifth graders about how to write stories. You know, me and Peter, we go to schools and be like, listen, this is the greatest thing we've ever learned about writing stories. The two magic words are what if, what if this happens? Like, let's write a story today, right now, together as, as a class. You're on the way to school, you're on the school bus, what if? And then just open up the door for them and they just start to throw out ideas and collectively you kind of write a story. So in a lot of ways, that experience by doing that has prepared me for what I realize a teacher kind of does. Yeah. And that's kind of when this job opportunity came up. I was like, yeah, I think I can do that. I think I would have a lot of fun. And then I kind of wrote in a lot of ways, kind of a manifesto mm. for how I would approach this. And it goes back to me going to Art Center and going, well, what do you want to do? And I want to do everything. Well, okay, um, go in advertising because you literally can learn the skills to do whatever you want because um, you know, then you apply it in whatever craft you want. And that's how I approach teaching at UT, how I approach the ad- advertising classes that I, that I teach. Um, and you know, we're going to do we, – we do assignments where I'm like, let's, all, let, let's have you make a music video. But first of all, I'm going to have you pitch an idea. So we're all going to work on the same – band the same song and each of you take a stab at how you would pitch that song and then you know well that's the first step is how do you come into a room and present me an idea that uh, what i you know if i'm the band how do you sell me on how do you you've interpreted my song so again even though it's an advertising program it's still it's not an it's not an ad that's that specific execution isn't an ad assignment but it is the process of Coming with it, coming up with ideas, and walking to to a room, walking to a room, and presenting those ideas, and getting it sold, and then with that again, do whatever you want. Go write books, go write films, go write shows, go you know, be a director, be a photographer, whatever you want to do. But just you know how to come up with ideas, you know how to go out and make them, and that's 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 really all I try to uh, hmm. teach. Do you find your students ever just kind of like have never been in the mindset of? being creative and coming up with a lot of ideas and sharing them like that. I mean, it well, doesn't good, seem like that's very common. Well, the probably. good thing about um, the program. So I, I'm part of the Stan Richards school, which is the Texas creative portfolio sequence, which mm. is like, you have to have a portfolio to get in. Okay. So, you know, the, uh, obviously we've handpicked um, for the portfolio program. We've handpicked these students, you know, I don't like I don't know, 75, 80, like 40 get in, I think. Mm-hmm. So um, they had to have something that obviously we saw that they have, you know, they, they know how to think ideally and they have some 
kind of style that we, yeah. you know, that goes with it. So I, we always say it's it's insight and style. So you know how you think and then how do you execute that version of thinking. You know, and it, everyone's obviously unique and different. And that's the whole point. It's like we be you, um, and then you know figure out a way to how how what's the look of you. You know, how do you think? How do you see the world? And how do you show that? Um, and that's really it. So they come in with something. Yeah. So once they're there, then it's like, okay, now it's just a matter of like learning how to like hone it and how to control it. And so part of, uh, so I teach three, three classes. One is the portfolio one. So there's one, two, three, and four. I teach, I teach half of one. There's two of us who teach one. And the, I teach an art director class, which is composition, photography, filmmaking, you know, kind of all the things that, that go with art direction, design. And then I teach a, a lecture class, which is called art, which is called American Culture and Creativity, and that one is like mm. an eighty-plus student class, and that's about that's really about various deep dives I do on American culture in American culture and the art that's come out of it, specifically like the advertising kind of version of art. So we'll do like f- uh, movie posters, for example, and like the art of a movie poster, and like who are the people who have actually created some of the most famous kind of like art artful movie posters that we have seen you know over the years i did a whole talk yesterday on 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 movie titles like how is there a category in the emmys for opening credit sequences but there's not for the oscars so like it's just i think you know there is an art form obviously too and i obviously love typography and all that stuff so i have a whole background and to why i think you know type and 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 images are so perfectly you know you know, why I think they, they, they work so well together, obviously. So well, why, 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 why type sequences are really beautiful to me. I mean, pe- people take it seriously. I mean, there's obviously studios who just do that. But again, there's no category in the Oscars. And I bring it up only because the Oscars are around the corner. Yeah. And it's still, that's not an award that people get. But there is for the Emmys. Like, you can get an Emmy for, um, for your graphics, but not in the Oscars. I'm just so, wondering, though, what kind of research you're doing to for these lectures. I mean, that must be really fun for you or is it? I No, it's definitely fun. Uh, I mean, I, I specifically picked stuff that I love and that was the, the, the it was funny. Uh, when I was, when I was, when I was applying for this job at UT, I actually found an old professor of mine from arts center named Brian Birch and Brian, I went out and actually met him. He actually is now doing his fine arts. He's, I think he's doing his fine arts master at the uh, art Institute of San Francisco. Um, and so I went up, there met him talked to him i think he, he kind of just said like you, you talk about what you love that's basically what teaching that's that's the bare bones thing mm. about teaching you talk about what you love a everyone can tell all the students can see it that you're into it like so much that you're like you know you you can't contain yourself so that's kind of how i approach this i talk about for this specific class or all my classes but especially the ones that i do the lecture on it's about 12 to 13 topics that I talk about, and each one um, is something I really, A, love, but also, B, have some sort of history with. So I talk about music videos and the birth of MTV, and, and I talk about how a lot of the directors from that era are now the big directors that we mm. that are out there making the big films, but they all began in music videos. Um, and, I mean, that's my childhood, was watching MTV. Like, that was, you know, I was there when, it, uh, you know, the day it began. Yeah. I was sitting, you know anxiously waiting for it wow. to launch. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so again, it's a combination of my own personal life, but also it's stuff I obviously love and at some point probably spent, you know, part of my career doing. So 
I do a whole talk on pop culture, I mean, on pop art and, and street art. I do a whole talk, like, for example, specifically like uh, uh, Basquiat and, and Keith Haring. Keith Haring actually was at was at Art Center. He came to Art Center one day, did a mural, and I got to physically watch him paint hmm. and met him. Like you know, a bunch of students, yeah. we got to like watch him do it and got to meet him. Again, I, everything I talk about is something I have a, a personal uh, connection to in some way. And then the whole thing about uh, music, obviously, a whole. I, and I, in fact, I played the album covers from like last semester, and I think it inspired actually some some students who actually do um, do some do some album cover art of their own. Uh, and that's you know that's that's the thing I'm sure everyone talks about. Uh, whoever had any experience teaching is that you'll always have like those handful of students who will come to you at some point uh, and say like thank you like yeah something happened to me like from that class uh, and that's I mean I, I I didn't know or I didn't realize how emotional teaching could be mm. like I I left that I after last I've only done one semester so far last semester two things like one. The portfolio program is set up where, like, you have to cut certain students at the end of each. Oh, wow! After each program, because there's only so many spots, and they know going in, like, it goes from I think 40 in portfolio one to like I think 30 in portfolio two. So 10 students are are getting cut, and you have to, you know, tell them reject like, them. You're not you're yeah. not moving on, and it's heartbreaking, and mm. and they cry, and you're crying because they're crying, and then you know. It just it's just this very emotional thing, and but you're not you're not saying like you're not good. It's just this may not be the thing for you. And I I go back to even me, you know, when I was uh, when I was in chemistry, uh, teacher was like, you're just not just not good. And yeah. B, you don't even seem like you really want to be here. So, you know, I'm doing, I think I'm doing you a favor to get you out of here. So I mean, some of these students, I I'm like, you may not be an art director you may be something else you may be an illustrator you may be a photographer you may be um, a, a director or whatever so i mean you know just this just keep because exploring, yeah. yeah just keep going and that's i think that's the other thing i think that you you you're trying to build them with like kind of an extra kind of skin that they can be not affected by you know criticism and by the world you know it's mm-hmm. like you don't i mean yes that you have to obviously get people to think you're good and and um, and hire you, but at the same time, like you can still just figure out who you are still, and they may not like your work. It doesn't mean they don't like you. So it's not personal, you know. These ideas just didn't work. So just keep going. Just keep yeah. making new ideas, and eventually, like it'll, I think you know, you'll figure out what version of whatever you want to be will kick in. So that's that's the thing. So I didn't anyway. I came out of that whole thing, and I was just exhausted from the whole experience because it was just an emotional roller coaster on a level that I didn't expect. Mm. I thought it was like going in, doing class, you know, getting hopefully some some kid inspired, and then you you go home. But it's not. You actually feel completely, you know, invested, uh, invested like in every way, emotionally. Um, on a on a on a, I'm I'm really trying to put in like a lot of time into the lectures and also like the assignments and um and I think that, I think in general I I think there's there's an art form to teaching and uh I'm not I'm not saying I I figured it out but I definitely think of it as an art form like how you got to be like almost three steps ahead of where you're hoping they're going to land with mm. this assignment to think of how to construct the assignment to allow them to get to this place you're trying to like teach them 
You know what I mean? Like I want yeah. to learn about how you control the flow of an image, but you have to start with like kind of some sort of premise of like what that, like how to see that. So like in a really rough way, I had them like go up and I'm like just on, on the board, see if you can draw like a perfect circle, like just with your, you know, just with a pen and then see if you can dissect like a certain space into thirds, just with a pen, like just like on a wall and just how do you see space? You know what I mean? And it's like by just like starting to look at like physically look at space and, you know, breaking it into, into, mm-hmm. into, into fractions in a way. If you're looking through a lens, that's what you're doing. You're right. And that's, yeah. you're doing that. So that so it's hard to see everything you are in that way. Um, so again, I'm trying to think like so many steps ahead, but also trying to like start like at the base, like what's the easiest beginning of this journey to get to here. Um, and not just, you know, constantly trying to like think of assignments that will, you know, trying to end at this place, but also try to figure out like the roadmap. Yeah. I'm just, this might be a big ask, but I just, because I always love to try to hear things like this, if they can be distilled in a way that makes sense. It's like, what, what could you say that you feel like has been the most impactful things that you've shared with your students that I don't know. I'm just thinking about the listeners. Like what could you, what could you distill out of your teaching um, and everything that you've learned uh, that you're trying to just dis- share with these students? Like what could you share the, right now? This that is, would be- this is, this is the fun assignment I've given out twice now. And it, it's been, it, it's, it's blown me away how simple, but how like how effective this is to about how you see things and how you I think I kind of like in a way like who you are so the so the assignment is go to the corner of um and I've done this in two different ways but this is this is the way I'll say it here um go to the corner of sixth and Lamar and create a piece create an image based on that corner and what uh if you know that corner in in Austin that's where Waterloo Records is where Whole Foods is uh, if you go to that corner and you create a piece of art based on that corner like what do you come come away with and you have a lot of students who will paint something about Whole Foods or Waterloo or Amy's, but then you'll have one student who like who put his phone like kind of as if it was shooting out from the gutter out into the street. Yeah. So the frame was like it's like you're looking through like kind of like a prison cell. Uh, yeah, window, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and you have like this kind of window, but you're looking at of of of. The, the kind of like the sky of, or the, the very tip tops of the buildings of Six and Lamar in a way that that's not obvious. So everybody had a really cool interpretation yeah. of that. And it's just Six and Lamar. Like everybody goes, everybody, if that's what I like about this kind of thing, it's like, how do you see? How do you, or what do you choose to see? And that's the whole point. And that, I think it's a big thing about like, this is you as an artist. This is exactly it. We all can look at the same sky, the same trees, the same flowers, the same earth but what do you choose to see is what makes you a creative what makes you that creative you know and that kind of understanding your perspective yeah which i think your work has a very specific perspective uh maybe we could just finish by talking about your work maybe you could just describe like describe your work to people that haven't seen it before the themes kind of like your humor i don't know maybe i know it's a visual thing well an easy way to put it whenever I had to do artist statements is I, I, I start with just saying I talk trash on trash. What that kind of means to me is that because so much of my work is on found fast food cups or bottles or, uh, uh, 
pieces of wood or any kind of random stuff I find on the street. So thus trash. Um, and I do commentary about the world. So I'm talking trash. I'm like talking about why Facebook is ridiculous and yet it's addicting and yet I can't get off of it and I hate it and I love myself for it and I hate myself for it. I did a whole thing about like, you know, various periods of my life that I didn't understand. Like why, why didn't I call her back? I don't know why I didn't call her back. I should have called her back. It would have changed everything. I just didn't call her back. And then I'll do commentary about albums and music and, and, um, just, you know, fears and, so it's a lot of uh, a lot of it is personal. A lot of it is like just stuff that I'm going through, um, and thus I think there's comedy in it. Um, and then there's a lot of stuff that I kind of point a finger at the world and be like, "Look at how ridiculous our culture is." Yeah. So it's it's a kind of a cross section of like I think. Well, I think, and that's the thing. If it's personal to me, obviously, then maybe you can relate to it too because it's you know. Um, I'm 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 opening up this thing about myself that I I, I I think I should take a look at. But by just by doing that, you might go, you know what, I've thought about that too, or I had I dealt with that myself in my own way. But I approach it also from the avenue of like it's uh, it's comedy. By making kind of a joke out of it, it lessens like the uh the the weight of it. Yeah. But also it's like the best i think therapy like it just it gets it out of you and it, you you you're able to smile and i do think like some of the stuff that that tries to have a message in my work i think i think by smiling like weirdly i think comedy which is why i love comedy in general i think by by and this is just my version of it so i don't know if this is actually something i've i've read before or something that's been said before but i think by by laughing by physically laughing, by opening up your mouth and actually like, you know, making, you know, noises with your body and mouth, you you open up like this weird channel where you can actually ingest the message hmm. more. It, yeah. It gets yeah. deeper inside you. It's like a so, vulnerability. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm making fun of like how addicting social media is and you're laughing out loud, hopefully that, that message is getting in so deep that you're like, Oh, I got the message too. It wasn't just that you made me laugh; that I actually got the message you were trying to say, you know, into my body, soul, yeah, brain, yeah, yeah. heart. So that's why I think comedy is so, for me, so important and so uh, a great way to to kind of pass along some sort of insight because I think it's it makes you laugh first and think second, mm-hmm. or maybe think and thus you laugh and then. It it, it 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 cements itself. It it like it, it's it the seeds are planted. So yeah, I think that's the best way I can like communicate I think what you know, what's happening um around around us. Um whether it's politics or, you know, the addictions of of, 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 of um being on every possible social website. Yeah, yeah. Um on all that all kind of all together it kind of makes you kind of talk about it in a in a easy way. Yeah, I really enjoy following your you on Instagram. I just feel like, I mean, I, I can't remember hardly anything that you've posted that I haven't laughed at. And just, it kind of just, you know, it's like a nice little levity. And it's like, wow, he came up with that. That is so hilarious. <laughs> and I think your your style of your characters, too, is is very interesting and unique. Where do you think that came from? That's just years and years of... Uh, I can specifically pinpoint it to... The thing I thought was the greatest thing ever as a kid was the was Far Side, the Far yeah, Side, right? Um, in every level, um, obviously the comedy, but the drawing was so simple. In one panel, 
he yeah. gets so much. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to ah. just draw comics. I mean, the Sunday paper was the greatest thing ever because it came with a comic section when I was a kid. So I, I, I you know ran into the living room when I was a kid just so I could get that. And then later, as I was growing up, there was all these shows that were coming on TV that I was like really into, um, specifically Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. So if you look at like my drawing style, there is, I, for me, I can, I can kind of see a little bit of that really crudeness of mm-hmm. Beavis and Butthead that Mike Judge kind of early, even the early, early versions before he was even on TV. This, this was when uh, Beavis and Butthead were, were in film festivals, the yeah, Spike and right. Mike film festival. So I would go to these film festivals and see stuff like that and see really like raw now kind of big writers and animators and everything. But they were like, just like kind of raw young filmmakers at the time mm-hmm. making these really cool hand-drawn shorts and I was like, oh, you don't have to be like a sophisticated artist to make right. stuff like this. You can just be crude and, you know, I mean, it wasn't even that well animated. It was just, just raw and funny. And I'm like, I can, I can, I think I can do that. So I think that's where a lot of, it allowed me to be crude with my own stuff because it, it, it made it like, accept, uh, was more acceptable. Even David Lynch had a comic strip called The Angry, Angriest Dog in the World. They've seen that. I don't. I don't think. I have. Yeah, I, I, I don't. It didn't last very long, and it was a definitely early '90s. But I remember that was a thing. And David Lynch. I mean, he's he's an artist in his own right. Um, I mean, not just as a filmmaker, but also as a painter. But he has this comic strip that was again very crude, very like raw. And I'm like, okay, well, this is this gives me, yeah, reason that I I might or permission permission yeah. to you know, to go down this road. So I. I Instead of trying to hide the crudeness of my of my drawings, of my style, of especially of faces and figures, it allowed me to push it more. Mm-hmm. Nice. And not all of your work is humorous. Some of it's, uh, or some of it's, you know, kind of just like abstract. Uh, I don't know. What do you make of that kind of work? Yeah, I mean, like that specific piece is uh, with like it's kind of. Um, Oh, it's, anyway, it's like a deer, but there's any anyway, but it, it's on fire. That's definitely about um, global warming. Okay, and okay. and and specifically right, right. I think before I painted that, and I was in, uh, I was in uh, um, in Venice. Um, there was one of the many um, Malibu fires that were mm. happening around me. Mm-hmm. So that was part of that too. So yeah, they're not all just poking fun at like you know a, a comedic angle of the world. That was actually very uh, obviously uh, heartfelt kind of spotlight on on what was happening around me in the world um but yeah and then i have some other more serious pe- uh, pieces that have to do with mental illness of people in my family and mm. um, some other stuff so but for better or worse it's uh it's it's therapy i mean it's obvious that art is therapy but um that a lot of it is just how i can deal with everything in mm-hmm. a lot of ways it's just okay let's sit here let's focus let's pull out some pretty colors and make something um, yeah. you know out of this it'll get it out of your head out of your heart but then yeah you walk into a room and hopefully that pain makes you smile i guess yeah well these definitely do and the uh, i'll just mention for listeners to check out your rohit records are also awesome uh you know you're re- you're just re- creating all these fictional albums yeah, and I keep saying this, but soon there's going to be actually. So, I think everything I've ever done has been, uh, like I said before, a growing amount of confidence. And I, 
when I first put the show together, this fake record story together, I got a lot of my friends to make up the fake bands and they would perform live at the oh, shows. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And my friends would even say to me, I grew up playing the accordion, for example, and um, I, play, I play guitar and everyone's like, well, you play. Why don't you play in your own show? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not a performer. I'm not, I'm not even that good. They go, you have a comedy fake record store? How bad could you be? Like, just yeah. play in your own show. So finally, I got the confidence one night to go, all right, I'll play one song. And I played one song. And I was ner- so nervous. I was just like, this is going to be... I actually I actually wore a shirt that said, I'm sorry. Just because I was so sure I was going to suck. Yeah, yeah. I actually want to make sure the audience knew that I knew. So, but it was great. I mean, I don't think I was great, but I just think I enjoyed it so much. Yeah, yeah. I had a really good time doing it. And then, um, okay, I'll do it again. So I wrote another song. I played another song. And then I did it a third time. And then I'm like, you know what? Okay, I can do this. This is not fun. this is not that bad. And now I've done I don't know four or five shows. Then I got my friends together and I go, why don't we record an album? I'm like, is that crazy? Let's record an album. And they go, well, how many songs do you have? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll go write eight songs. We'll do four on each side. We'll we'll press an LP. You know, eight songs. So suddenly I was like off writing songs and I wrote eight songs. We recorded all the songs. We have like, you know, actual instruments and backup singers and it's like a whole recorded album finishing the mix now. And um, then of course I'm like, you know what? We need, we need music videos for these songs. I should make music videos for these songs. So I literally just started making the music videos. Oh my goodness. So um, one of them is a song called, uh, in fact, if you want, I can, uh, I'll send you a link. You can hear it. Um, This is is, is the first single on, on uh, the, our album, the one we're going to release. One hit wonders. The first one hit wonders of the eight one hit wonder bands. Um, The song is called I drive and I eat. And, um, the song is like uh, wh- what car you're, you're driving versus what you're eating while driving around L.A. So if I drove a Scirocco, I'd only eat tacos. If I drove a Mitsubishi, I'd only eat sushi. Yeah. If I drove a Testarossa, I'd only eat samosa. So that's the song. So I wrote that song and recorded it. And now by the, the grace of my 10-year-old nephew, I have about 150 Hot Wheel cars. Oh, nice. Just let me borrow. That I'm going to animate into little like stop motion like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. whatever things and we're going to we're animating this music video for I drive and I eat so that's going to be the new video oh that's so funny. and then um there's there's another song that I wrote called um there's nothing like your second drink on your first date and I think you can all kind of relate to that so I I wanted to make something kind of like a, like a bar scene of of a couple sitting there and the guy kind of like singing the song about how this is awesome. We're on our drink. We're on the second drink and this is our first date. This is going to, this is an awesome, but I didn't want to do with actors because it just, I just, I just thought it'd be funnier to do with puppets. So, um, I made two Muppets. Yeah. My mom actually helped me put together. So we actually just finished these two Muppets. That's going to be the, that video for that song. So now I'm just making all these music videos for these songs, um, that are all going to be, Partly animation, partly kind of puppets, partly whatever. And so, yeah, by the time, I think ideally by the summer, when we're actually going to put on the next record's kind of big show, it'll be now purely, uh, finally, what I kind of hoped it would be. It's a music film art show. So live music, obviously the album cover art, and then um, the music videos that go with it. 
What a rich life you live. It just seems like so, <laughs> so much fun. I don't know. It seems like you're just doing everything that you want to be doing, and it's very uh, must be very gratifying. Uh, well, it, it's it is. It's also weird because I don't. It, it was never one path. Yeah, it was always just like, well, I'll go that way for a little while. Yeah. Oh, but wait, I want to do this also, and oh yeah, I want to. Don't forget about that thing. So you just it's always kind of been you know you're always on these different roads and you know i don't know i wake up and i'm like what am i going to make today and that's all i think about and you just like anything else you're like i'll all i have to the reason why i love stop motion in a general giant version of like what i guess i'm trying to kind of what what i realize over time is that when you when you do stop motion all you are worried about is this frame that's it because it takes 24 frames in a second on film and um you can probably get about 12 original movements so two frames per movement so you get 24 frames so yeah so but all you worry about in stop motion is that one frame just worry about one frame then worry about the next frame yeah then worry about the next and that's mm. it so you, you break down time you're not like so stressed about frame 150 you're worried about one like this figure has to move one step and just get that one step right it's like a metaphor for life. So, yeah. yeah. So, when I work on an album cover, or work on a painting, work on whatever, I'm much worried about, like, all I have to do, if you even break down that painting, all you have to worry about is this, this first pen stroke, this first, you know, this first uh, uh, line with the pencil or a pen. Just worry about that line. Then worry about the second line. Then worry about the third line. So, you can't think about, like, this, the giant road Eating you're about to. the whole to. elephant they talk about. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect way to put it. Yes. And so I think about that a lot. I I have to zero focus, calm the hell down, yeah, breathe, and worry about that first thing. That's it. Just take the first step. What's the the hardest part? The hardest part about going to the gym is putting on your shoes. Yeah, the, you know, sitting in the chair and committing to putting on the shoes. You put on the shoes, you're probably going to walk to the door. You walk to the door, you're probably going to the car. You go to the car, you're probably going to go to the gym. So, just start with the very first step weirdly the rest will take care of itself so that's that's how i look at everything i agree um and then you also have some of your books that are going to be included in a show coming up that i'm included in i picked you a flower at vault stone shop tell me about the books real quick well the books like like anything else i've i think i've created is like i always i had this idea and um some of it began by me just walking out the front door like i i was living in santa monica and i'm like you know what i'm just gonna walk around with a camera today i'm gonna take some pictures i don't even know what it's gonna be and that that specific day i remember looking at the shadows and i'm like wow that's a really cool shadow that's a cool shadow over there too oh wow look at this this is pretty pretty cool you know i i I bet if i go to the park the park has some really cool shadows the swings have cool shadows and all of a sudden i'm gonna make a little art book called the shadows in my neighborhood are pretty dope that's the name of the book yeah. So I literally printed these out and spray mounted them into a little handmade little um, book that my mom sews, and um, boom, art book. Okay, still one, still one again. And I did one that I just sold, and I actually said, "Ghosts who suck at hiding." And I just walked around town, photographed random places where I could imagine a ghost hiding behind. Yeah. yeah. But the ghost sucks at hiding, so. You could see the ghost. Like I see the ghost is right there behind the car, but it, the ghost is kind of peeking itself out from behind the car, and it's, it's ridiculous. So, that's <laughs> another. Bo- so the books are just became this like kind of concept comedy thing, but a lot of it came out of me physically just deciding I'm going to make something today, and I'm going to walk around with a camera, and let's see what happens. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. So that's 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 how all the books were made. They like, you know they weren't like really heavily thought out. They were just kind of a gag that I ran with. And nice. It's like anything else. You commit to like you know thirty pages or fifteen pages or whatever these you know, these little books have in them. <laughs> You're like, how? Who would spend that much time? doing a 30 page little tiny tiny book like it's like like three inches by like four inches a book on ghosts who suck at that's so stupid who would do that oh well that guy did yeah (laughs) yeah it seems like you're enjoying it um cool yeah and that show opens on february 7th uh there's an opening from 7 to 10 p.m yeah friday right friday Um, the 7th Cool. Well, where would you have people go to check you out um, online or on Instagram? What, what on your- Instagram, it's easy. There's two, Rohit Records, R-O-H-I-T, Rohit Records. And then there's Rohit, R-O-H-I-T, 913. Uh, the Rohit 913, which is my birthday, by the way, um, is basically all my art in general, mm-hmm. um, other than the records. And then Rohit Records is purely just the album, uh, the fake record store. And that's... Um, Right now, it's mainly it's mainly album cover art, but um, there is a couple of live performances on there. I think mm. kind of like kind of just like videos that we've shot at, at a couple of shows. Um, but soon the music videos will be released. Um, wow! As well, so that'll be like what, what I like. Weirdly, I mean, this is a, a, a constant conflict I have because I I I need social media because as an artist, you have to get yourself out there and. It's a great place to constantly put stuff. People can see it as opposed to a website. But the addiction is real. Like, you know, like yeah. you start posting a lot and you start getting used to it and you start. I'm not as affected a- a- anymore because I've been doing it a while. But like at first, like you're like three likes. Really? Yeah. No, I, know. I thought, thought <laughs> that was pretty good. You didn't you didn't like it? Yeah, it is weird, isn't it? And then you're like, "Oh, it's just the algorithm." Yeah. <laughs> I just blame Stupid the algorithm. algorithm. So I don't. I'm not. I'm not as emotionally uh, affected, I guess, as I used to be. But um, it's a necessary. I don't want to say evil, but it's a necessary thing that I I need it to get work out to the world. I just wish I didn't rely on uh, on it so much as I do because yeah. it's there is really no other outlet. There's yeah. no other place. Other than people physically walking into my studio and and coming to my space and hanging out with me here, there's no other people. No way people would see the work. Yeah, um, it is helpful. So it, uh, yeah, I think those are the two places. And I think um, for for better or worse, I I try to post a lot. So if yeah. you uh, anyone who wants to go check it out, just know if you don't like uh, the piece I posted an hour ago, just just wait, just wait, a, uh, just wait a few more hours. You'll get yeah. another one. Yeah, nice. Cool. Do you have any uh, parting words you would like to share with any listeners, any artists out there? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start making this T-shirt that I, I started to talk about uh, in class that I've been talking with my with my friends about for years, which is MYS, which stands for Make Your Shit. Oh yeah. It literally is like all I tell everyone. Um, doesn't matter like young, old, student, non-student. Just I'm like, you know what? All that matters is that you find a way, however you have to do it to just keep making your shit, like whatever that is. Um, yeah. Just don't stop. And, you know, um, and this is specifically for people who want to be creative, who are writers, directors, um, whatever, just any any creative person. It's so easy not to. It's so easy to just like go, you know what? I, uh, not today. I don't have like, I don't have like the 20 minutes or hour or whatever. I can't just do anything. Uh, just like, you know, find a way. Just, just, 
don't stop and kind of find you have to kind of give yourself that like opportunity uh, you know and the the the, the beauty of uh, i think of of today's world is you don't need a lot of tools you can if you have a camera, if you have a phone, you have every, probably everything you need in your pocket. You've yeah. got a camera. You've got a you've got a you've got a video camera. You've got a still camera. You've got you know a probably you can draw on that thing. Um, you don't need a lot of things today to be able to make things. Um, so it's it's a lot easier now than ever. So whatever by whatever means you 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 have, please take advantage of it and go make your stuff because uh, you're not getting younger. Yeah. And I guess the big trick is like not judging yourself or not focusing so much emphasis and importance on this one thing. You know, it's like, well, just 500 things from now. Like, think about that. It's like, yeah. it's not about this one thing. It's not all hinged on that. Uh, yeah. This other thing that I, I just re- recently wrote um, on a wall in class, uh, it's a, uh, it said, um, uh, there is no finish line, but there are a shitload of deadlines. Mm hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for all your cool work. Thank you, man. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. One more thing before you go. If this episode or any other I've produced have helped you or added value to your life, please support the podcast so it can continue and grow. Just go to austinarttalk.com forward slash support. There you can find a link to my Patreon page, and there is also a PayPal option and an Amazon affiliate link. I couldn't keep doing this without your help. All the best to you and take care.